We read from the Holy Scriptures this evening from the Epistle to the Colossians. We'll begin to read in chapter 2 at verse 20, and we'll read through the third chapter. Colossians 2, from verse 20. Our text this evening is found in the first four verses of Colossians chapter 3. In the context of this second chapter, the apostle has been admonishing the Colossians. We're, humanly speaking, at risk of slipping back into pagan ways, into a legalism. And the apostle would encourage them to seek the things which are above. We hear the word of God in Colossians chapter 2, beginning at verse 20. Wherefore, if ye be dead with Christ from the rudiments of the world, why, as though living in the world, are ye subject to ordinances, touch not, taste not, handle not, which all are to perish with the using, after the commandments and doctrines of men? which things have indeed a show of wisdom in will-worship and humility and neglecting of the body, not in any honor to the satisfying of the flesh. If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. For ye are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall ye also appear with him in glory. Mortify, therefore, your members which are upon the earth, fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, and covetousness, which is idolatry. For which things sake the wrath of God cometh on the children of disobedience in the which ye also walked some time when ye lived in them. But now ye also put off all these, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth. Lie not one to another, seeing that ye have put off the old man with his deeds and have put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcision nor uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, bond nor free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercies, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another and forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, Even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. And above all these things put on charity, which is the bond of perfectness. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to the which also ye are called in one body, and be ye thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And whatsoever ye do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by him. 
Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands, as it is fit in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives, and be not bitter against them. Children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing unto the Lord. Fathers, provoke not your children to anger, lest they be discouraged. Servants, obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, not with eye service as men-pleasers, but in singleness of heart, fearing God. And whatsoever ye do, do it heartily, as to the Lord, and not unto men, knowing that of the Lord ye shall receive the reward of the inheritance, for ye serve the Lord Christ. But he that doeth wrong shall receive for the wrong which he hath done, and there is no respect of persons. Thus far we read from the Holy Scriptures. <coughs> As I said, our text this evening is found here in Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 4. Colossians 3, 1 through 4, where we read, If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. For ye are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall ye also appear with him in glory. Beloved congregation in our Lord Jesus Christ, if ye then be risen with Christ, So our text begins, If ye then. The apostle must not be misunderstood as if he was in doubt about this matter. That the church was risen with Christ was not a question in his mind. The matter was not problematic, but absolutely sure. It is objective reality. The church has died with Christ. The church has been raised with Christ. The church has ascended with Christ and is in principle with Christ as he now sits at the right hand of God. And the term then denotes conclusion. Seeing it is true that you are risen with Christ and are With Christ in heaven, it must follow that you must seek the things above where Christ is. In the closing verses of the second chapter of his letter to the Colossians, the apostle had especially been rebuking the congregation. The congregation had become involved in a form of self-willed worship, foolish legalism. In verse 20, Paul asked them, If with Christ you died to the world's childish, trivial notions, why do you submit to ordinances, touch not, taste not, handle not? Such man-made regulations have only a show of wisdom. They lead only to a fake humility. 
If you obey these trivial ordinances, thinking that victory over sin and fullness of salvation lies in that direction, you will surely be worse off than ever before. Such self-imposed ritual serves only to indulge the flesh. It just feeds man's pride. It leads away from Christ and the way of salvation. And so in our text, the Apostle emphasizes that believers must live in conformity with the fact that they were raised with Christ. The Colossians were beset with the danger, as I mentioned, of relapsing into paganism with its gross sensuality. And the solution to this problem did not lie in themselves, but Christ. There is in Christ was the answer. If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Christ's resurrection followed by his ascension and exaltation at God's right hand guarantees pardon for his own, provides for purity. The Colossians must see that they are raised with Christ. They now possess within themselves the life of his resurrection. They must experience that living and walking in that consciousness. They must realize the significance of Christ's resurrection. Not just that Christ arose and went to heaven, but that he now lives and reigns in heaven. He is in heaven as our prophet, priest, and king. He has poured out his spirit upon his church from thence. He intercedes for us. He rules over us. He prepares a place for us and prepares us for that place in Father's house. According to the words of our text, Christ is our very life. And so the fruit of Christ's exaltation must be seen in their lives, in the lives of all God's people. Their union with the risen and exalted Christ is life-transforming. Their entire life, mind, heart, will, they should be seeking the things above where Christ is. According to the principle that the Lord Jesus himself announced in the Sermon on the Mount, Where your treasure is, there shall your heart be also. And so very practically, the apostle exhorts, set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. Beloved, how we need this exhortation. How easy it is for us to become absorbed in the here and the now almost totally focused upon the things that are below. We stand no better than the Colossians. We are in danger of slipping into worldly-mindedness, carnality, materialism, pleasure madness. Our affections are so often on the things of this earth We have often little time or concern or energy for the things above. 
the things of the kingdom. We too can lose sight of the significance of Christ's resurrection and exaltation in this regard. It's in this light that we consider our text under the theme, Seeking the Things Above. And we notice, first of all, that it is an urgent admonition. Secondly, that there's a significant reason. And finally, that we have a blessed hope. We read in our text, Seek those things which are above. Set your affection on things above. Or literally, mind the things above. The obvious question is, what are these things above? In many places, the scriptures describe these things to us. Of Abraham, it is said that he looked for a city which hath foundations, whose builder and maker is God. The object of his desire is also called an heavenly country, in contrast to an earthy. To the same Abraham was spoken the comforting word, I am thy shield and thy exceeding great reward. In Matthew 6, the Lord Jesus speaks of these things when he speaks of having treasures in heaven where neither moth nor and rust cannot corrupt. Looking for a more literal designation of these things which are above, we see that these things are always connected to the promise. We have the promise that God shall live with us and we shall live with him. In the words of the prophet, I will be a God unto you and ye shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. Think of that expression that often occurs in the scriptures, the promise of seeing God that is held before us as a great heavenly goal toward which the saints are aspiring. Consider the precious promises of the Beatitudes where these things above are expressed as receiving the kingdom of heaven, as inheriting the earth, as being filled with righteousness, of being called sons of God. We can focus our eyes upon the great gift of the Spirit, out of whom we shall receive the gift of love and also joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Elsewhere, Scripture expounds to us the contents of the kingdom of God as righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. More specifically yet, these things are clearly not things that you can see or count or measure. These are spiritual and ethical things. They are not silver or gold, or money, not houses and lands and possessions, not pleasures and entertainments. They are invisible, spiritual things. Scripture emphasizes that we must set our affections upon righteousness. Think of the exhortation of Matthew 6, verse 33. But seek ye first 
the kingdom of God and his righteousness. We must seek, set our affection upon the righteousness of Christ. Scripture also points to holiness as that which is above, so that we are devoted unto the service of our God, yielded up to him, so that we are directed in all the activities of our life unto the service and praise of God. In the chapter before us, these basic gifts, these things above, are spread out as they can be seen in actual life. In verse 12 and following, we see these things in the form of tender mercies, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, forbearance, forgiveness, and above all of them, love, which is the bond of perfectness. These are the things above. But it is at once evident that the apostle sets forth here in our text an absolute contrast. The antithesis is here. Set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. There's a stark difference between these two. One is heavenly, the other is earthy. The one is out of God through Christ, the other proceeds from the principle of sin. This contrast applies so strictly that there is out of this world no good, no spiritual thing. There is nothing upon earth upon which we should set our affections. We cannot here on earth and of the earth apart from the church and the word of God, of course, find the things of heaven, the things of God, the things above. In order to make this plain, the apostle characterizes these earthly things also here in the context. In verse 5, the apostle admonishes, mortify, therefore, your members which are upon the earth, fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, and covetousness, which is idolatry. In verse 8, the apostle exhorts the Colossians to put off anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication. Understand, beloved, these things don't simply give us the bad, the dark side of earthly people and their lives as if there were also another side that we could appreciate and admire. No, these are simply the former things of the flesh. These are the earthly in contrast to the things which are above. Perhaps we're inclined to say that these Colossians, after all, had just come out of heathendom. Maybe they are a rather extreme case. Looking at the list of sins here mentioned in the context, they appear so coarse and crass, gross to us. The reality is, of course, that today the list would be no better. If anything, it would be worse 
The apostle emphasizes that no matter how nice the things of this earth seem to be, how attractive, how appealing their true nature is pictured essentially in the words fornication, evil desires, covetousness, and idolatry. Understand this does not mean that the various creatures of creation are evil in themselves. Certainly all the things of this earth were good as the Creator formed them, called them into being by his word of power and saw them. Nothing had to be avoided for their own sake. With the exception of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil in the garden, God did not have to come originally to Adam with the admonition, set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. The mountains and trees and stars, cars, computers, government, economics, industry, are all created and established by God. The various things of the earth are good creatures of God to be used in our lives. The Apostle Paul speaks of that in his first letter to Timothy in chapter 4, verses 4 and 5. For every creature of God is good and nothing to be refused if it be received with thanksgiving, for it is sanctified by the word of God and prayer. But as we know, sin came into the picture. Sin caused the breach between the things above and the things on earth, not as if the earthly things as such became sinful or evil, but through sin, man turned his affection, turned his mind away from God and set his affection upon the things of the earth as such without being consecrated to the Most High God. He no longer acknowledged God in seeking the things on earth, but he used everything on earth in rebellion against the living God. Gold and silver and power and glory, wealth and pleasure, all are sought as things in themselves for the possession and enjoyment of man apart from God. And as such, they are vain and corrupt and sinful. They are opposed to the things above. And so the apostle exhorts us, seek those things which are above. Set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. Literally, literally the ideas that we direct our affection toward, that we seek that we strive for, that we mind the things above. These things above are the things we are to set our hearts upon. These things are to be the goal in our life. These things above are to be followed after and sought with all that is in us. These things must captivate our minds, our desires, our will, all our actions. We are called to mind the things above. It implies that 
We appropriate those things unto ourselves. We reveal the things which are above in our life and walk. We are concerned in every aspect of our lives about the things above. The Apostle uses very strong language here. He is unmistakably clear. For he knows that we are inclined by nature to want to soften these words. Or even belittle the words of our text. Well, the Apostle Paul does not really mean to say that we may not set our minds on the things that are on the earth. He does not mean to say that we may not seek them, but that we may not seek them excessively or even exclusively. There must also, they reason, we and even we would reason, there must be some time left for minding spiritual things, the things above, And so we can have our affections set upon both. And then we desire to get as much as possible out of each. The best of both worlds. We will enjoy so much of the earthly things as is possible in accord with a fair chance of salvation and making it to heaven. We would be tempted to walk as close to the fire as possible without getting burned. We would try to serve two masters, God and mammon, which the Lord Jesus says cannot be done. Isn't that the way you're sometimes tempted to try to live? The apostle does not say, seek those things above a little bit, and for the rest it will do no harm to mind the things on earth. No, he draws the sharp antithesis here. A distinction and emphasizes, mind the things above, not the things that are on the earth. Certainly, This does not mean that we are indifferent to the things of this present life. We are not to passively and lazily just sit back and wait until we are called to heaven, longing for that moment all the while. We are not to live carelessly. This is not an excuse for laziness and negligence of work and calling. This does not mean that we are to manifest a false spirituality, put on a pretense of piety. No, but with our minds set upon the things above, we must rule the things that are on the earth. The things above must control us in the managing of all our earthly affairs, in all that we do, in our home life, in our life in society, in our life as an individual, in our life in the church, in our work, our business, industry, in our studies, with our money, 
with our possessions, with all our talents and gifts and time, we must be controlled by the things which are in heaven, setting our affection upon the things above must be the central purpose of our lives. But how is it possible to seek the things above? The answer to this question resides in the fact that Christ is risen and we, as his people, are raised with him. Yes, Christ is risen from the dead. It appeared that he was swallowed up by the powers of darkness, was taken by wicked hands, nailed to that accursed cross. There, after hours of agonizing suffering, he laid down his life, gave up the ghost. He was buried in a tomb that was securely sealed by the powers of the world. Yet, he is raised by the power of God. Death could not hold its prey. He broke the bands of death and the grave. He emerged on the other side, triumphant over all the powers of darkness. And he did not return in the likeness of sinful flesh. He arose in his human nature, the glorious Lord of heaven and earth. Now he was clothed with new celestial, everlasting life and majesty. Presently, after he had given sufficient proof that he was raised from the dead, he ascended into the highest heavens, to the very throne of God, clothed with power and glory and majesty at his own right hand. And what makes this so significant, of course, is that Christ was not a mere man who was risen and exalted. He wasn't just another Enoch or Elijah that were translated into heaven. He is the Christ. It is Christ that is raised. And that carries all the significance. He is anointed servant of God who was appointed and qualified to deliver us from the power of sin and death, and by whose power we are raised also to the highest heavens. He is the head of all the elect of God. It is he that is so highly exalted, because he is the head of his people. We are inseparably united with him. That's the testimony of all of Scripture. He is the vine. We are the branches. He is the head. We are the members of his body. He is the bridegroom. We are the bride. By mystical and spiritual union, we are inseparably one with Christ. A union which was an eternal reality in the counsel and purpose of God when he chose us in Christ and a union which is reality also in time. So true is this that the scriptures inform us that when Christ was crucified, we were crucified with him. When Christ died, we died with him. When Christ arose, we arose with him. When Christ ascended into heaven, we ascended with him. Undoubtedly, it's to this that the apostle refers when 
He says in our text, seeing that you are risen with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. No more than it's possible for the body of our flesh to live if it were severed from our head. No more can the body of Christ live were it severed from the head Christ Jesus. But that can never happen. By the decree of election and by the bond of a true and living faith, we are connected to the head in whom is all our life and well-being. In him are all the blessings of salvation, and with him we must seek them. Though it's true that as far as our physical being is concerned, we are still here in the midst of this earth. And we are often almost overwhelmed with the cares of this present time, worries and fears regarding earthly things. In principle and spiritually, this is no longer true. We are in heaven with the risen and exalted Christ, and only because of this is it possible to seek the things which are above. And in close connection, the reason why we must heed this admonition, says the Apostle, is that we have died. And that our life is hid with Christ in God. We read, For ye are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. Think of it. We are dead. This refers, of course, to the old life of sin. It refers to the life as we received it from our first head, Adam. In the old life, we sought the things on the earth for their own sake. We sought them in in order to exalt ourselves and to satisfy the lusts of the flesh. In the old life, we cared not for the precepts of God. We thought not of his glory. And living with our minds turned away from the things above and set exclusively on the things on the earth, we would live in sin and iniquity. And in verses 5 through 8, as we've noted, the Apostle has described that old life. That old life was a life of fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, and all the rest. That's the old life. And the old life had died, principally. It was gone. The new principle of life been implanted in our hearts through the wonderwork of the Spirit of Christ in regeneration. That new principle of life has come to consciousness through the Word in faith so that we now consciously live that new life. And this new life that is implanted in our hearts is the life of Christ. That same glorious life with which the Lord arose on the third day after his crucifixion, he has through his spirit also implanted 
in our hearts, we are risen with him. Christ is therefore the fountainhead of our life. In the literal sense of the word, Christ is our life. Take Christ away and our life is gone. From him as our life itself, our life flows to us and in us through the Spirit so that outside of him we still lie in the midst of death. And that new life fastens its eyes, the eyes of faith, upon the things that are above. And in light of things above, where the risen Christ is seated at the right hand of God, it seeks not the things on the earth. Its tendency is not to set its mind on the things that are below and still value them in themselves, but rather to set its affections on the things above. Life in Christ acknowledges the sovereignty of God in all things, also in all the things of the earth. Now this admonition would not have been necessary. In fact, it would have been impossible if this new life in Christ had already been fully realized and manifest. If Christ immediately after his resurrection had revealed himself in all the power of his glory and of his new life, if he had immediately executed judgment upon his enemies and renewed all things, if immediately he had finished the new creation and had taken his place as king over all, so that in actual fact heaven and earth would have become united, then indeed Paul could not have said, Seek the things which are above. Do not set your mind on things which are on the earth. But such was, as we know, not the case. And 40 days after the resurrection, the Lord Jesus ascended into heaven. And there he is hid in God. He has returned to the bosom of the Father. He lives in God, in the sphere of God's glorious presence and majesty and glory. And the world sees him no more. But Christ is not hid to the eye of faith. By faith we know him and we see him exalted in glory. Lord of lords and king of kings. The head in which all things in heaven and on earth have their unity. If we could not see Christ by faith, we would not be able to set our minds on the things which are above. So Christ is hid not to faith... But as far as his resurrection body and appearance are concerned, the world of unbelief does not see him. He is king, but he is not revealed as yet to the eyes of the world. His glory is not yet manifest. He shall reunite all things, and all things belong to him, but this unity is not yet realized In a word, 
that all things are ours and that we are Christ's and that Christ is God's is not yet manifest. For Christ was hid, as it were, when he ascended up on high. His ascension made him purely an object of faith and not of sight. And the same is true of our life. We have but a small beginning of the new obedience. We have that spiritual principle of the new life of Christ in our hearts. Nevertheless, that life is still hid because it is only spiritual. It's hid from the world around us from this perspective. Our glory is not yet apparent. There is no outward distinction between the children of the world and the children of God as far as their glory is concerned. Nothing yet reveals that we are kings and that all creation is ours in Christ. Nothing speaks as yet of that glory that shall be revealed in us. Our life is hid from the world. Like the world around us, we suffer sometimes more than they do. Like the world and more than the world, we suffer affliction and adversity. Like the world around us, we too ultimately die and our bodies end up in the grave. Our new life is real, all right. It is realized in Jesus Christ, our Lord. It is realized in the things that are above. And if we could see for a moment the things that are above, we would see our life that is now hid. We would see that Christ, our life, is exalted at the right hand of God and reigns forevermore. But all this is still hid as far as the natural eye is concerned and as far as the world of unbelief is concerned. And so the admonition is clear. What the apostle says is what is hid to the world is not hid to faith. For faith is the evidence of things unseen. Now we must fix our eye of faith on the risen, ascended, exalted Christ. Set our minds on the things above. And with our minds on the things above, we must seek all other things in its light. That faith that Christ is risen, has ascended on high, that he is now exalted at the right hand of God. The faith, in other words, that Christ is king over all, must control our lives, our hearts, our minds. Through all the present trials and troubles we endure. With that all controlling principle of our faith, we seek no more the things of this earth for their own sake. Then everything in our life becomes subservient to that great all controlling principle. And then, with body and soul, with mind and heart, in our work, in our business, with our money and our possessions, with all our talents and powers, our pleasures and joys, in every sphere of life, we seek 
the things which are above. Beloved, because that principle of the new life is yet small, we too desperately need this admonition. Are we seeking the things above, as we are called? Are we really dead to the old life of sin? Are our priorities in order? Or are our affections upon the things of this earth? Are we laying up for ourselves treasures upon earth where moth and rust corrupt and where thieves break through and steal? Are we seeking to satisfy the lusts of the flesh and the lusts of the eyes and the vain glory of life? Think about it. What's really important to me? Even as young people, young men and women, the Christian home in which I'm being brought up, the church, my Bible, prayer, worship, godly friends? Or is it popularity, entertainment, sports, a good time? Yea, beloved, we must all hang our heads confessing that we fall far short. We can point to our failings in every sphere of life, in our families, in our work, in our social activity, in our entertainments. We must strive by God's grace to heed this exhortation Seek the things which are above. And as by the grace of God we try to apply this admonition of the apostle and bring it more and more into practice in our lives, we shall also live in the consciousness of a blessed hope. For it is not so that our life shall remain hid with Christ in God. On the contrary, even as the Lord came from God at his first advent, so shall he proceed from God once more. Christ arose and ascended into heaven not to remain there. The heavens must receive him merely until the restoration of all things in the new heavens and the new earth. He shall come again. And when he shall come again, he shall complete his work. He shall destroy the works of darkness and shall establish his own kingdom in the new creation forever. And we shall be fully delivered. Body and soul united. Delivered from all sin spiritually. Delivered from all the effects of sin physically, from all suffering and want 
God shall wipe away all tears from our eyes. Then it shall become clear before all the world that we are God's people, prophets, priests, and kings in Christ. Then it will be clear that this life which now was hid from the world was actually glorious, everlasting life. For according to the last words of our text, when Christ, who is our life, shall appear... Then shall ye also appear with him in glory. That's our hope. That's our comfort. Again, if that spiritual principle of life were already perfect, we wouldn't need this admonition to seek the things above then our whole life would be directed to Christ. We'd continually have our eyes fixed on the things above, on Christ, our life. And in all of our life, we would be manifest as children of the kingdom. And now this is different. We are still sinful We have only a small principle of this new obedience in our hearts. May the Lord humble us to see and confess our sins day by day. And because of this fact, it's still a difficult lesson for us to learn. And we must seek the things above. For by nature, we're inclined to do the opposite. We focus on ourselves. We focus on the things that are below, things that are earthly, the pleasures and treasures of the earth. And often these things, to a great extent, control our lives. And when it comes to the things above, the things of God's kingdom, we try to squeeze them into a corner of our lives. We hardly have life and spirit to give forth but a little for those things. Our life and standpoint in the midst of the world are determined too often by the things of the earth. Seek the things which are above. Our treasure is in heaven. There our hearts must be also There is Christ, our life, our all. Let us live in the hope of Christ's appearance, for then we shall appear with him in glory. That, beloved, that hope will never make us ashamed. Amen. Most merciful and gracious Heavenly Father, we thank Thee for Thy Word. Strengthen our faith. We are yet so carnal, so worldly-minded. Forgive us, we pray. Give us more and more to be spiritually-minded, to set our hearts upon the things that are above. May we be manifest as those who are united to our faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. May we live in the hope 
of his appearance. Come, Lord Jesus, yea, come quickly. We ask it in his name. Amen.